All right. Well, uh, good morning. Uh, for those of you who are new or visiting, my name is Mark, and I'm glad to be with you this morning. Now, how many of us have seen the old British game show called Golden Balls? should be coming up there. Uh, on the show, there is a sum of money up for grabs, and your goal is to win as much of it as you possibly can. The climax of the show is the final round. Uh, two contestants remain, and there is a chance to win big. In this final round, both the contestants are given a set of two balls. One marked split, the other one marked steal. They must secretly choose which ball they want. However, there is a catch to this. Uh, if both contestants choose the, uh, the split option, then the money, it's split half and half between them. No worries. However, if they both choose to be selfish and select the steal option, nobody goes home a winner. The only way to get all of the money to yourself is if you successfully lure the other person into thinking you're going to split the money with them and then you backstab and steal it all to yourself. And this is the best part of the show. You can look it up on YouTube after, where one person has successfully lured the other person into thinking they're going to split the money and they've stolen it. It's brutal and it's funny and it's tragic all at the same time. And it just goes to show that when it comes down to it, we so often have a posture of being takers, not givers. We have a mindset of me before you. We so easily take and so reluctantly give. This isn't anything new. All the time throughout our day-to-day -day life, we encounter situations where we see people putting themselves before others. If you're part of a family, then you know what happens when there's one last slice of cake, don't you? Or have you ever had the experience of opening up the fridge and realizing someone has drunk the last bit of milk? Maybe you've been caught doing this before. If you're an employer, you know the experience of an employee cancelling a shift an hour or less before it starts, and now you've got to stay back late or find somebody else. Can you think of that one friend who just vomit vents all their issues onto you without ever considering how you're going? You need to be there for them, but clearly that's not a responsibility they need to own as well. None of us like to be friends with selfish people, do we? No one likes to be friends with someone who just takes and takes and takes and takes and never gives. And it's all too easy, isn't it, to think of the many ways in which people act selfishly towards us that we rarely stop and notice that it's kind of like looking in a mirror. We all actually have a mindset of me first. If we stop and think about it, we realize we are all slow to give and quick to take. And the question is, how does Jesus help us with this? How does Jesus transform what is so often our posture 
of being served by others to being a servant of others. And how does Jesus transform an entire community into servants? I want to challenge us this morning to dare to believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. I want to, I want to challenge us to dare to believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. Our text is Philippians 2, 1-18, to and we have three parts to our passage this morning. The first thing we're going to explore is the mindset, and then the instruction, and then the joy. So let's jump into it. We start out with the mindset. We are called to live with the servant mindset of Jesus. And in the beginning verses, Paul gets to work at changing our mindsets by showing us a glorious reality that we've been united to Jesus and to one another. In Paul's mind, this is foundational. And you can think of it this way. Being united to Jesus means that we belong to Jesus and with one another. Paul says in verses 1 to 4, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, Paul says that our relationships should be characterized by love and unity, tenderness and compassion, humility and like-mindedness, a mutual caring for one another's needs. What Paul is saying to us is that if we want to thrive in our church communities, we need to live with the interest of others at the forefront of our minds. We need to become convinced that we are better together, to borrow a phrase from Reach Australia. We are better together. And when we get that, when we believe that, we're going to start to live for others. And this is going to take a big mindset shift. And that's why he writes in verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, a mindset is a way of thinking. It's linked with our attitudes towards things. The way you treat someone will be determined by how you think of them. The way you approach an activity or a challenge will depend on how you view it. And following Jesus means we're going to change on a much deeper level. Following Jesus isn't about changing our, just our behavior. If we focus on trying to change our outward behavior, it might improve for a little while. But the problem of our selfish mindsets are going to show up again and again and again in a variety of forms. And God has a better solution for us than to just be putting out behavioral spot fires. No, God wants to transform our mindsets to be like that of Christ Jesus. So what is the mindset of Christ Jesus and how can we get to a place where we have that same mindset? Well, let's look at Jesus. 
the one who gives us the ultimate picture of what it looks like to live for the interests of others. In verses 6 to 8, it reads, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus, starting at the highest place of all, being the creator God, chooses to go lower and lower and down and down. From having every divine privilege and blessing to having nothing. Jesus took on more than just human flesh. He took on the nature of a servant. Jesus became a servant. What a breathtaking reality that he gave himself for us. Just think about that for a moment and allow it to sink in. Jesus gave himself for you, for me, for our benefit. Matthew 20 verse 28 says this. He says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Luke records some of the most profound words of Jesus, where he says, Jesus says, It is more blessed to give than to receive. The servant mindset of Jesus. The, the, the mindset of Jesus is a servant mindset. It's at its core self-sacrificial and self-denying. You could think of it this way. The mindset of Jesus is a commitment to embracing and exercising Jesus' words where he says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's think about that mindset. Our king was not selfish, but selfless. Not contentious or self-promoting. Rather, he valued our lives above his own. And through Jesus dying on the cross, we receive grace. He died in our place, so we receive grace. And so our passage continues in verses 9 to 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus has been exalted and he is now worthy of all our allegiance and all our affection. Jesus is now free to give us a deeper experience of God's grace available in him. Now, have you ever been in a thunderous storm before? A, a massive storm. I think grace works like a, like a massive storm where there's lightning and there's thunder. You see, when there's sudden, intense flashes of lightning are followed by the mighty roar of the thunder, I think that's how grace works. In the same way, grace is like the lightning and thunder is like our service. You see, just like thunder follows lightning, 
So service follows an understanding of grace. It is possible to serve without a deep understanding of grace. But it is impossible to have a deep understanding of God's amazing grace and not serve. So often we can think of our serving of others as an obligation rather than a thunderous response to God's grace. See, Jesus was a servant of us and now we are to be a servant of others. This is the mindset we are to adopt as our own. And if we follow Jesus, then we need to realize that to be a disciple of Jesus ultimately means we are apprenticing under him, where we enjoy a life of learning to follow our king in his wonderful ways. And in this case, learning to think like him. Following Jesus means we dare to believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is so opposite to our mindsets, isn't it? I mean, if we get really honest, sometimes we don't serve because it simply doesn't suit our schedule. Or maybe the area we've been asked to serve in, that's not the area I wanted to serve in. Perhaps we feel like, I don't like the people I'm being asked to serve, and I don't like the people I'm being asked to serve with. Maybe we feel like, I've done my time serving. I've done enough. I've served long enough. It simply takes too much of my time, my headspace, and my effort. Our mindsets need to change. And the more that we keep sitting in awe of what Jesus did for us, the more we will serve. Service is a thunderous response to God's amazing grace. And so this is the mindset. We've explored it, a servant mindset. And now we're going to go on to explore the instruction. The instruction. Looking at verses 12 and 13, we're given an instruction that will help us see what this servant mindset of Jesus, if put into action, can achieve in our lives. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Paul gives us an instruction. Work out your salvation. And sometimes we can read this and think, okay, I need to be a better Christian. I need to uh, read my Bible more or pray more often or be more kind. But let's not forget the context in which we find this verse. Those are all good things. However, the context has made its meaning clear. To work out your salvation means to exercise having the mind of Christ. And notice the wording of this instruction. Work out your salvation. Right away, we see this isn't something that causes salvation or leads to salvation. Rather, it's a working out process. It's a ripple effect of salvation. And it kind of answers the question, now that I'm saved by Jesus, what happens next? Well, what's next is to work out your salvation. Paul intends us to take it seriously. We're to do it with fear and trembling. We're to work out the effects or the results of our salvation. 
by having the mind of Christ. By committing ourselves to embracing and exercising Jesus' words where he says it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is at the heart of our apprenticeship to Jesus. And when we are doing this, we are stepping into our purpose. Okay, now Paul is going to give us a small example and then a big example of what it looks like to imitate the servant mind of Christ. First, a very practical day-to-day example of what this looks like and then a big example even when the caviar hits the fan, so to speak. The day-to-day example is found in verse 14. He says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. In our sports teams, at school, at work, at church, at home, at uni, in the gym, wherever we are, we are to be a people characterized by our servant mindset. Practically, this looks like not grumbling or arguing or complaining. Because these things reveal to us that our mindsets are still in the wrong place. When I grumble and I complain and I argue, I'm still thinking about me and what I want, not you and what's best for you. But to state the obvious here, this is hard. It's hard to not grumble and argue. We have plenty of things to grumble and argue and complain about. Uh, This could be anything from someone being rude to you, an annoying cramp, your weight isn't low enough, the kids are annoying, you aren't tall enough, or maybe I'm the only one struggling there. Um, You've had another bad day. You've had another injury. And this guy preaching up the front just babbling on and on and on and on. I get it. How are we going to exercise the servant mind of Christ when after years and years of you faithfully serving, your efforts still seem to go unrecognized and unnoticed? Or when others in our serving teams let us down by being unreliable? How are we going to work out our salvation by having the servant mind of Jesus by the power of God's grace? See, only grace can change the human heart. We respond to God's grace when we serve others. And when we succeed, this is just more evidence of God's grace at work in us. We will need to embrace the counterintuitive and certainly countercultural reality that it is more blessed to give than receive, better to serve than be served. Let's look at verse 12 again. This verse is strange because it tells us to work out our salvation and then the very next verse, the same sentence even, it says, for it is God who is at work in you. Jesus is actively at work in you this morning. Be encouraged by the fact that God hasn't given up on you. He he isn't oblivious to your thoughts and to your needs and to your struggles. He's actually helping. He's attuned to to us. And God's work in us is simply taking our mindsets from what they are to what they should be. But remember, the power we need is a power that isn't our own. That's why Romans 12, 2 says this. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person 
by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know what God's will is for you, which is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. We need to let go of our self-autonomy and self-reliance and let God change us. Let's sit in awe of the servant mindset of Jesus on full display as he saved us on the cross. And let's listen to Paul's instruction. Let's imitate the servant mindset and let's rely on God's help in this pursuit as a thunderous response to God's grace. Now, I think there is still one more question to answer. If Jesus says that at the core of being a disciple is a commitment to embracing and exercising Jesus' commands to, uh, and Jesus' words that it's more blessed to give than to receive, the question is, is that actually better? I mean, is it better to give than receive? Is the one who is serving better off than the one being served? Is the giver happier than the one receiving? Surely this is a mistake. Maybe Luke misheard Jesus. Maybe he made a typo and forgot to control Z. The idea that being a servant as a blessed thing, it goes against our natural ways of thinking. And so my final point is to explore the joy of it. The joy. God shows us that even in extraordinary service, in genuine sacrifice, joy can still remain. And I think we can draw upon some everyday examples which point to the reality that when we serve others, making intentional, sacrificial decisions, the joy outweighs the cost. Uh, an example of this would be when you buy someone presents. Now, just this past week, I was stuck in the situation where I needed to buy someone a present. And I was a little bit stuck. I, I'm not going to lie. I had no idea what to get her. It was mum's birthday. She turned 21 again this year. And so that was great. But I didn't know what to get her. But then it hit me. Light bulb moment. Me being the best middle child she's ever had. Um, I decided I'm going to take her out to lunch and get ChatGBT to write her a card for me. Um, I'm joking, I'm joking. I didn't actually do that. I didn't actually do that. But do you know that feeling? Where it suddenly hits you and the light bulb goes off and you're like, yes, they're going to love it. And even though you end up spending far more than you planned on the present, there's a real sense of joy and excitement there. Despite the cost. Here's another one. What about child sponsorships? If you support a child through an organization like Compassion, then you know the joy when you see the money come out of your account each month. It's a genuine sacrifice. You may not be able to have that extra night out, eat that extra Macca's meal, or afford those new shoes that you would like. But there is joy there, isn't there? There's a genuine joy in giving. The reason is because the cost is disproportionate to the joy. And so the joy remains despite that cost. Paul shows us in the final verses of our passage today that he considers his life among fellow believers 
as an opportunity to further serve, even when the sacrifice is very, very real. Look with me at verses 17 and 18. He says, Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And Paul says he's got, he might have to pour his, his life out. It might be poured out like a drink offering. He might lose his life. This is one of those, the caviars hit the fan type moments. But he's still willing to serve. Even if it costs him all he has. See, serving others for Paul means, it means more sacrifice. More prison time, more false accusations, more beatings, more trials, more tests, more pain. But he is willing to. Because he has been so affected by what Christ was willing to go through for him. His service is a thunderous response to God's grace. And notice, there's a reciprocal joy in Paul's serving of the Philippians. Earlier in the letter, in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes this. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. They are partners in God's grace. Paul and the Philippian believers, they're on mission together. They are seeking to see the world one for Christ. They are seeking to see mature disciples of Jesus being made in ever-increasing number worldwide. And they are sacrificially serving and they're finding joy in it. Because their joy is in seeing each other serve. Their joy is in seeing the gospel advance. And so, the joy remains despite the cost. No longer is Paul giving up his life for others a burden, but a privilege. What a privilege we have to serve one another. Each time you are called to lay aside your life for the sake of others, know that it's a privilege a new opportunity to exercise the servant mind of Jesus. Now, I also totally get it. If right now your experience, it's not very joyful. The feeling and the experience that you're having serving, it, it's a hard slog right now. It doesn't feel very good at all. Can I encourage you to keep going? Don't get sucked into the trap of arguing and grumbling and complaining. And please know, your salvation does not depend on how much you serve or how good the results are. But keep serving. Keep working out your salvation. Keep imitating Jesus' mindset. Know the good that it is achieving. And keep asking for God's help. And so, we have seen the captivating mindset of Jesus. And we have seen, as it says on our final slide, that we are servants. We've seen the instruction. Work out your salvation by serving others. Having this servant mindset. And we've seen 
the hopeful reality that despite the cost, joy can still remain in service. Now, I think we cannot read these breathtaking verses and come away and think to ourselves, it's okay to be a passive Jesus follower, a passive disciple of Jesus. We cannot leave these verses and have a consumer mentality where we take and take and take and reluctantly give. Remember, grace changes the human heart. And so in light of God's grace, can I encourage us to serve one another? If you are not currently on a serving team, could you be on one? Would you sign up? Even though it means another meeting, another night out, it means more capacity is taken up and more hard yards. Would you dare to believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive? Embrace the cost and the joy will still remain. And what about caring more personally for one another? We're all meant to serve each other, right? And so I think we can't read these verses and sit in our connect groups knowing that person X lives with chronic pain. Or person X has just had a baby. Or person X is going through a tragedy, a, a hard time right now, and they need help. And think to ourselves, oh gosh, I really hope my leader reaches out to them. I really hope someone comes alongside them. No, let's reach out. Let's find out how we can love and serve them. Let's not be passive disciples, but joyful, servant-minded disciples. Can I read verses 1 to 5 over us again? And as I do, I pray that God will transform us by the power of his word. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Amen?